0: Fuzzy Logic today is dedicated to people with hearing loss and in particular those people who have really strange experience of phantom images. Now, I kind of got a glimpse of this a few days ago. I was in a building and looking out the window and across the far side is a an apartment block and I'm looking through the trees and the view is a little bit hazy and I could see a shape and I wasn't really sure what I was saying and I thought, maybe that's a person that's over there. And then it moved, and it was a person, and it was slightly disconcerting. Now, I've got normal vision, and I know there was nothing wrong with me on that occasion, but just imagine, as I was telling Bruce before we went on air, imagine looking out the, along the wall and seeing lizards crawling up. So this is a very strange condition known as Charles Bonnet syndrome. And I guess today on Fuzzy Logic is Scott Muirden, who is the director of the the charles bonnet syndrome foundation morning scott good morning rod now charles bonnet syndrome what is it exactly
1: well it's uh the condition was first noted by charles bonnet who was a swiss naturalist uh a natural scientist uh, back in the 18th century and he noted something quite fascinating in his grandfather charles lou who at that point was 89. He was a retired magistrate and uh, he was in very good health physically and mentally. He was he was uh, renowned to have a uh, razor-sharp mind, but he had failing eyesight and he'd had uh, both cataracts removed. I shudder to think how they removed cataracts in the uh, mid-1700s, but nonetheless, uh, what the... Uh, grandfather started to describe to his grandson was that he was having these very unusual visual experiences. He was seeing a uh, blue handkerchief with yellow circles in each of the four corners that was hovering midair. And this was a recurrent image that he was seeing day after day after day. He saw Catherine wheels, spinning wheels hovering. He saw buildings that weren't really there. So Charles Bonnet, uh thought this was fascinating because, and he he ended up writing about it in 1760, because he was claiming that this was the first instance of someone experiencing, for want of a better word, visual hallucinations, when in fact they're completely sane. There's nothing wrong with them, with their mind. So what we're, how I would describe Charles Bonnet syndrome is where someone who has some form of vision loss experiences phantom images in their visual field, but they have an understanding, if not immediately, soon after, they have an, under, uh, an insight into the fact that the images that they're seeing are not really real. So they don't buy into it.
0: See, I was reading this morning in preparation for this, uh, there's a website called Damn Interesting, and the article's called Chuck Bonnet and the Hallucinations. We'll get to that word hallucination in a moment, but I just want to read a short extract from this. And he says, so this is Charles Bonnet's grandfather. Charles Lillan, or if that's how you pronounce it, began to experience a parade of music and magical visions. And the 89-year-old Lillan was being visited by visions of people, birds, carriages and buildings, all of which were invisible to everyone but him. Apparently, these mysterious objects materialized spontaneously among the few bits of the world he was still able to perceive through his cataracts. So it's quite a a, a startling experience, I would think, for someone with Charles. But it must be quite disturbing. And I note that you' not keen on using the word hallucinations.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, I sort of <laughs> I, I used the term just before, but. Uh, yes, uh, there's two reasons why uh, I'm not, or well, the Foundation's not keen on using the term visual hallucinations. First, uh, in a technical sense, they actually don't meet the requirements of being visual hallucinations. What The more technical term is pseudo-hallucinations or false hallucinations. Uh, so that's the first point. And the second is that um, people... Who are having the sorts of experiences, uh, that you've been describing, if they've got no forewarning, uh, about what they're going through, no one has given them any information to explain, to be able to explain what's going on, then a, for a lot of them, they're terrified of what this means. So a lot of them may start to come to their conclusion wow first I lost my vision now I'm losing my mind and because of that they're very reluctant often to disclose their visual experiences to anyone uh, not just uh, the medical and healthcare uh, professionals but also nearest and dearest and uh, you can appreciate that if they're already reluctant to disclose that if someone were to ask are you experiencing visual hallucinations? That the term visual hallucination evokes uh, links to mental illness, to p- some sort of pathology. And I, c- I would imagine a bit like a bank teller who suspects that a burglar is about to uh, uh, take over the bank, that they press the little button under their uh, desk, and then the shutters come straight down to protect the bank and the tellers. I think something very similar would happen if you use that term visual hallucination, that people are going to shut down entirely and not disclose anything because they're terrified of the consequences.
0: I can only imagine what it would be like to actually experience these things. Now, uh I want to get a bit more of a sense of what the people actually see. So in a moment, we're going to play an interview I recorded earlier with Ian Morpher, who has Charles Bonnet syndrome, and he describes what it's like. But before we do that, uh, Scott, what, what are the main characteristics of a visual phantom that, that the, people, the person sees?
1: Well, there's a really almost anything that one could think of in terms of imagery is possible with Charles Bonnet syndrome. So it's an incredible continuum. It begins with the most simplest of forms, uh, which could include horizontal lines, vertical lines, maybe they're thatched, so they look like a grid. In fact, a lot of people talk about that they're seeing the world through a grid, could be a green grid or a black grid. Uh, and then it moves into more, uh, it could be coloured blobs, and then it moves geometric patterns, and then it can move into more complex forms, such as animals, buildings, figures, and even for some people, they even experience full landscapes.
0: Wow. Well, it's, um, Ian Lawther describes some pretty florid things that he sees. I'm going to play this interview uh, with him now, and, well... Ian Lothar is the person who experiences Charles Bonnet Syndrome. So Ian Lawson has been living with a fascinating condition called Charles Bonnet syndrome and 10 years ago, Ian, you went in for an operation. What happened?
2: I, I came out and uh, all, all of a sudden I, I just didn't have as much much sight as I should have had before the operation. What, what kind
0: of operation was it?
2: I developed a um, tumour on my pituitary gland and they, um, they took it out and it's mar- marvelous what they can do they, they drill the hole into me my skull up, up through both nostrils put a put a camera up one side and a scalpel up the other and cut the tumor away from my optic nerve i think
0: so they affected your optic nerve how bad was your vision after the surgery
2: it was uh, it had gone down to probably half, I suppose, a little less. Uh, at at the moment, I, I'm, I'm told I've got about four percent of normal sight in my right eye, and I'm absolutely blind in my left.
0: Was was that hard to adjust to?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, it. it uh, I'd been a builder for 40 years and it meant that um, I, I was forced into retirement. Yeah, so it was very hard to adjust to. I, I lost my license, uh, couldn't drive any longer and uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful to wake up every morning and uh, I, I can see the sunshine and that sort of thing. And um,
0: now, after your surgery and after you noticed your vision had been damaged, something strange started happening. What was that?
2: I, I noticed that I was seeing, seeing things. I, I was like, I, I'd walk into into town into Hillsville, which is about five k from here, and I, I'd take my dogs with me. And uh, and then I'd walk back again, and and I'd walk back past buildings which hadn't been there when I went down, and uh, and then I'd see roadworks and that sort of thing, and I just couldn't believe where those roadworks came from or buildings came from. Oh, oh,
0: hang on a sec, So you're just telling me a whole building or buildings even would appear?
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um Okay. Housing, est- housing estates and that sort of stuff on, and it would be housing estates on, on land that I, I knew they couldn't possibly be. Oh, I, what
0: did they look like? Did they seem real?
2: Yeah. Oh, a- absolutely real. Very real. And uh, after a while, I, uh, you know, I, I just thought, well, what, must be going mad or, or whatever, and... Uh, I didn't, I didn't ever tell anyone about it but in desperation I ended up um, telling my op- op- ophthalmologist that I had I was seeing things. He said, yeah, what sort of things? And uh, he didn't, didn't seem surprised. He said, well, it's a get used to it, know um, Lots of people who see that, see things when they've lost their sight and left it at that but it made me feel better that other people were, were, were seeing things. And then um, I was working on a project with a uh, friend uh, in, in a very nice location, in, in a, an old barn and you know, surrounded by paddocks and that sort of thing. And, and one, one particular day, I saw a, a huge cow, <laughs> and I think it had a little little bird's head on top of it.
0: A, a bird's head,
2: a bird, like an eagle's head.
0: You mean its uh, own head was gone, and it had a bird's yep. head in this uh, place? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. no, no, it, it had,
2: had nothing, nothing to resemble a, a bull's head. It had a bird's head, <laughs> and I, I sort of looked at it and I glazed real hard. And my friend said, "Look, what are you, what are you looking at?" And I explained to her that I, I was having this problem seeing properly, and uh, and she said, Oh no, that's that's strange. And uh, that night she rang me and said, "Dan, I've just found this site on the Vision Australia site, and it's about Charles Bonnet syndrome. I'd like you to have a look at it." And and I had a look at it, and it described to a T uh, what I was seeing. And I, I, I feel so much
0: better to uh, do have had that and to know, know it had a name. And here on Fuzzy Logic, we're talking Charles Bonnet Syndrome, and that was Ian Martha who has, in fact, Charles Bonnet Syndrome. And I guess today from the Charles Bonnet Syndrome Foundation is Scott Murden, who is the director. Now, Scott, what do you make of what Ian was telling us just now?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of directions one could go with that fascinating little excerpt there. Uh, I guess one thing that, uh, one direction I I would choose to go in is he's mentioned that the housing estate that wasn't there, but he was seeing it, was incredibly uh, vivid. Uh, It looked as real as if it was really there and this is actually a common occurrence for uh a lot of people with Charles Bonnet syndrome that it's sort of there's lots of paradoxes when it comes to Charles Bonnet syndrome on the one hand someone's losing their vision which should mean that they're um they're seeing less and yet curiously they've got for some people they're getting this addition this additional uh uh visual world but uh, another paradox is that a lot of these people with uh, low vision, whether it's from uh, maybe more standard uh, forms of eye disease other than Ian's, such as macular degeneration, glaucoma, cataracts, that for a lot of, uh, especially say macular degeneration, uh, the results of their vision loss is such that they're struggling to see the grandchildren's faces. They, they can't read and often many parts of their world are uh, fuzzy uh, and, uh, and so then superimposed over this impoverished visual world, their everyday visual world, you've suddenly got these, this second visual world of CBS images and yet they seem incredibly detailed. That they've got a richness to them that is lacking in their everyday life, and how can that be? And uh, I, what we've uh, and what I would say is how can that be? Uh, they're astonished at the level of colour and detail, and I have no doubt that Ian really saw a housing estate that really looked like a housing estate with the the brickwork, the mortar, the windows, uh, the whole caboodle. Uh, Why is this happening? How can someone with such impoverished vision be seeing things that seem incredibly detailed? Well, it's because it's coming from the brain. And uh, whereas normally with our vision, we rely on... uh, Our eyes are sort of like a camera and we take in the visual input and then the brain registers what is actually being seen. But in this case... um, uh, So in this case... But in this case, what's happening is that there's no involvement of the lens of the camera as such. It's the brain itself that's spitting out the images. And we we know that now because of um, uh, developments in neuroscience and particularly brain imaging techniques that have been used over the last 15 years. So things like uh, an MRI... And it's been shown over the last 15 years if you put someone with Charles Bonnet syndrome into um, an MRI um, environment and you ask them, tell me when you're experiencing whatever imagery you're experiencing, that they're able to show that uh specific parts of the visual region of the brain become hyperactive at exactly the same moment that they're reporting seeing say a housing estate, um, a grid or a figure. And what's even more interesting is that uh, they've discovered that the visual part of the brain is incredibly specialised. So there are uh, brain cells specifically responsible for detecting uh, certain types of imagery. So V1 and V2, they're pretty boring names that science has given to the most primary parts of the Um, visual part of the brain they're responsible for seeing the most basics of patterns so people who see lines and grids and uh, geometric patterns, you'll find under an MRI that if they're having those types of experiences that at the same moment the V1 or V2 will light up and there'll be considerably more activity going on there. The same there's a, a region called the fusiform gyrus and that's responsible for seeing faces. And so if people are saying, I'm seeing faces, uh, then you'll notice a correlation with the fusiform gyrus. It, it, must, and,
0: it must be, apart from the um, experience of feeling like you're seeing that something that's not there, the psychological disturbance, So that must be just damn inconvenient because what little vision you've got has got something overlaid on the top of it. So it's not enough that you're going blind. Now you've got this thing as well to have to deal with.
1: Yes, absolutely. And... Uh, for some people you can imagine a scenario where say someone maybe is living in a multi-story uh apartment they might be at the foot of the top of the stack uh, sorry at the top of the staircase and uh if suddenly there's a distorted image of a, a face or whatever a gargoyle that appears in their field of view that you could be quite startled by that and that could be potentially quite uh Dangerous.
0: Yeah, well, it could be quite unpleasant. And in the uh, second bit of audio I'm going to play later on, uh, Ian describes a bit where he saw something that was real, but he thought he thought it was uh, a phantom. And that's quite an, an, an amusing little experience. So it's kind of a visual tinnitus, is it not? Because uh, those of us who are losing their hearing are often plagued by noises where there would be silence. Is that a good uh, metaphor?
1: Yeah, it is is quite a good metaphor, yes. There's lots of evidence uh, of that, uh, that people who are hearing impaired, that there's a similar susceptibility to either tinnitus or even what's um, a more complex form, which is called musical... uh, Unfortunately, they say musical hallucinations, uh, but uh, where some people just hear the opera or they'll hear a Christmas carol, it, it could be anything... Uh, And we think something very similar is going along there. And there's many examples of, um, there's a whole cluster of phantom sensation syndromes. Uh, There's one that's quite bizarre uh, that most of your listeners uh, would not be familiar with, which is called mal de Debarquement syndrome, pardon my uh, French pronunciation, but it essentially, it's called a, a disembarkment syndrome. So we're all familiar with getting on a boat and some people are susceptible to seasickness. Uh, this is actually the, the opposite, that someone's been on a sea vessel, it's been rocking and bobbing around, they're fine, they get onto terra firma and then they feel they've got phantom movement. They feel like they're swaying, they're bobbing, it's as if they're back out on the sea craft.
0: Yes, I've actually um, experienced this, Scott. Uh, I was out on a boat on the Barrier Reef for a few days and when I came back on shore it felt like the shore was still moving gently. We might break to a quick music track now and when we come back we'll talk more about what Scott Bonnet Syndrome actually means and What a strange thing the brain is, isn't it? I just find it endlessly fascinating here on Fuzzy Logic. Uh, And a bit of classic Fleetwood Mac here on Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday, and we're talking Charles Bonnet syndrome with the director of the CBS Foundation, Scott Murden. And now, Scott, uh, we were just talking about... uh, disembarkment syndrome and how the world seems different so very strange things going on in the brain and you've talked about the visual processing that goes on the brain now it doesn't seem to have a an emotional component particularly so is there a meaning for that uh, people have the the reasons why a particular image is experienced by a person with Charles Bono
1: Mm. well this is a this is an area of uh, conjecture uh if you look at the CBS literature uh the overwhelming belief is that that uh it's pointless trying to uh psychoanalyze the images that they're not as amenable to um, symbolic interpretations as say the dream world however having said that uh we've found quite a few of our members have experiences that do seem to fit with their own uh, historical uh, life story. So uh, there's, uh, well, I I think even the case of uh, Ian that you played earlier, that uh, he was a builder for 40 years and some of the imagery that he reports seeing is of uh, buildings and housing estates. There there was a woman who had um, used to be a nurse and had worked in in Africa and was working uh, with children who'd been uh, affected uh, by the war, both uh, experiencing... um, They'd been uh, either tortured or uh, some sort of uh, physical...
0: So so this had a strong emotional resonance for her? Yeah, and and
1: some 40 years later... Her CBS imagery is of uh, is of black skinned children who who look a bit uh, distorted. So uh, and and there's a famous story in, uh, that was uh, written up here in one of the Australian journals on the 2009 bushfires in uh, Melbourne, where a woman living with CBS as a result of the um, Uh, the encroaching fires on her property because she lived in the outskirts of Melbourne that um, as the impending danger uh, she noticed that it was an increase in her anxiety levels and the nature of her CBS started to change. So it went from being something quite pleasant to something that in a lot of ways was quite horrid. So... I think the jury's out about whether um, whether we can read things into it there there was a woman I know just quickly who reported seeing uh, a turtle or a tortoise figure and certainly there seemed to be suggestions based when reflecting on her own life that this seemed to be a good metaphor for her that she was in a way retreating not only with the CBS and not disclosing her story to anyone but also in the wider context of what was going on in in her life where she felt that she didn't have any of her own space as such and uh because she was living in quite a busy family home life, and the only place she could retreat to was in her own bedroom, and so the uh, the turtle uh, imagery that was appearing in her c b s seemed to be speaking to her on a deeper level. but as I said i think it's uh, I think the jury's out at the moment
0: yeah, so I guess it 's unknown then what you 're saying is whether if someone has an emotional reaction to an image, whether that's injected when the image is generated or whether they post-interpret it, like looking at a Jackson Pollock painting, you know, you can see shapes and colours and you can imagine things in that because the human brain is fantastic at pattern-matching device. And so I guess the the non-emotional version of this is you just seeing random noise and your brain imposes a pattern or an image on it like seeing the face in front of a car or the the virgin mary in a bit of burnt toast <laughs> um yeah is that how you said
1: well uh I mean, you see this is where it gets interesting when you talk about say, an illusion versus a CBS experience. An illusion is something that appears to look like a snake, but when you look more carefully, you see it's just a coiled up rope. Um, got to be you've got to be careful um, about the nature of the image, but um, I totally agree with you. The mind is uh mind-boggling um, in its its richness and mystery. And uh, I think one thing that I'd like to add about CBS in terms of the imagery that science still cannot explain uh, is what, what's unusual, uh, particularly unusual about CBS, apart from all the images we've talked about, is that there tends to be... Um, and, and actually, Ian's experience that you shared earlier uh, touches on it, that there's... Uh, an aspect of the bizarre um, something uh, imagery that's either bizarre or incredibly flamboyant, so for example, he gave the example of the the what was it the the cow or the bull in the
0: with the birds with head the, on it. With the yeah. bird's head, yeah.
1: which reflects that and um, uh, there's lots of people who've reported seeing things like Merlins or wizards um. And when people see uh, figures, they don't tend to be mundane, familiar figures of this day and age. They often come with the most elaborate headdress um, and uh, so...
0: Just sort of phantasmagorical, if I can use the word. Absolutely, yes. Well, speaking of phantasmagorical, I think we might play the second part of my interview with Ian, because he describes what happens in his living room, and a bit more uh, on what it's like to live with Charles Bonnet syndrome. So, so then you realise you're not really going nuts. Now, somebody asked you a question about what you can hear when you're seeing these things. What, what was that question?
2: told the uh, ophthalmologist that I, I could I, I was seeing people and, and that sort of stuff he said do they um, do they talk to you and I said no they don't he said well thank God for that because it wouldn't mean you're, you're, you're going mad or something <laughs> and uh, the, the next day I was in my brother's workshop and um, saw a couple of people standing there they, they were in gear and running gear and obviously trying to get out of the sun and uh, uh, I, I just thought, oh, no no they're not there they're not there and uh, I walked from one factory to these people who I thought weren't there said what's the bloke have to do to get some service around here <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said oh look sorry I, I didn't think you were real <laughs>
0: I oh, bet you got a strange. I oh, bet you got a strange look, Ben. Oh, I did I
2: either. did I ever. Uh, and, uh, so the, the the
0: the clearly the cow can't be a real thing, uh, but uh, you know the cow with the bird's head. Yeah, yeah. But the the buildings that you saw. I mean, did they have colour and texture and and shapes oh, and absolutely. and the detail like you'd expect?
2: Yeah, they had colour. Everything was just like a normal building. And. Uh, it was one day I, I, just, I used to I used to have this five-kilometre sort of i walk dogs around every day, and one day I turned this corner and I came across this this complete estate there of uh, houses being constructed and and that sort of thing, and I. Uh, couldn't make, make it, I had no idea where they came from, uh, and at this stage I hadn't um, mentioned anything about it to the ophthalmologist or anything, and uh, very interesting journey, I'll tell you, very interesting. How,
0: how long does one of these um, apparitions last? It,
2: it's been a few minutes. Crawling across a, wall, across a wall, like gecko-type lizards, just more like shimmering across across the wall. Like a mare, don't it? This is a,
0: a lizard in your lounge room, and uh, this is yeah, just a down the
2: wall. A solid brick wall. It's a, it's an actually a rammed earth wall that I built myself, so I know every cavity in the every stone that's in that wall but these lizards just come out and they shimmer across the wall and
0: disappear back into the wall it's, so it's pretty bizarre, so to begin with y- you were a bit worried about whether you were going mad or how people might perceive you, so it took a, what a few months to get some advice some th- the knowledge that you weren't really going mad but it was just yeah. a, an artefact of, yeah. of your vision loss
2: I, I, Is it, right? t- it took months before I actually sought any advice
0: on it. So, so for six months you were pretty disturbed, I would think, you were pretty
2: I worried. Was, that the you know, absolutely disturbed. Um, it, it, it worried me no end. And, and, you know, I just thought, well, how am I going to tell this bloke I'm seeing things? And, and I, I remember one particular thing was um, if I went into, into a toilet in Eastland uh, which was just water um, I think eight by, 8 by 4 white tile And when I came, came out I, I couldn't find the door it just disappeared I mean there were tiles everywhere and um, I, I learnt that if I went to Eastland or went into that set of toilets I would leave my white cane in the middle of the floor near the door and just sort of pointing to where the door was because I knew when I came out I would not be able to see it. Uh, One one day I was in there for about 10 minutes before I actually came across the door.
0: What what sort of reaction do you get when you tell people that this is what's happening?
2: Uh, Well, some of them... Way, look as though you know I'm, I'm gone in the head. And, uh,
0: so, does that mean you, you, you're reluctant to talk about it? You'd rather not, mostly? Oh, origin,
2: no, 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 because it's, it is a very disturbing thing. And, and now, if I meet anyone who has a, uh, has lost, lost their sight, I, I ask them about whether or not they ever uh, think they're seeing things and it's it's quite surprising how many people
0: So what would you say to somebody who has the same condition as you?
2: I I, I would say read up what you can on Scott Vonney Syndrome and Vision Australia stuff and um, realise you're not going there there's plenty of people around you that suffer the same thing and like any trauma, it won't start to heal until the silence stops
0: so and when, when you say by the science, you mean that when people start to talk about it and this sort of becomes more known and more accepted?
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: And uh, that was Ian Lawther, who I interviewed earlier this week, and we are talking Charles Bonnet syndrome here on Fuzzy Logic. We're going to take a quick music break, back to a bit more Fleetwood Mac, And when we come back, we're going to talk about what do you do once you've got this condition? How can you help yourself? Who can help you? Where do
2: you
0: go? And a bit of classic Fleetwood Mac there for your enjoyment here. This beautiful rainy Sunday, 2XX, Fuzzy Logic and Charles Bonnet Syndrome, The Strange World of Visual Phantoms. And my guest is Scott Muridon, who is the director of the Charles Bonnet Syndrome Foundation now. Scott, um, as Ian was saying just now, and he ended with the interesting words, he said, The healing won't begin until the silence stops. So, what does it, people typically find who have Charles Bonnet Syndrome? You've mentioned already that they feel very reluctant to talk about. But uh, how much of it is actually known and what kind of support is available to these people?
1: Well, well, un- unfortunately, regrettably, there's very little support worldwide. Uh, and uh, it's a complicated uh, answer as to trying to explain, more well, why is that the case? You would, because... Uh, This condition has gone from the 1980s being viewed as, in quotation marks, rare. Uh, By the 1990s, they were saying about 12% of all vision-impaired people will develop this condition. Uh, And as of today, the last three major uh, clinical studies that have been undertaken the figures are now nudging towards 40%. So, for nearly 40% of all vision impaired people—that's an enormous number worldwide—and yet there are no specialised Charles Bonnet services anywhere in the world except uh, here in uh, in Australia. Uh, so, there's really the whole world's crying out for services. We often get uh, emails from. Uh, Europe, um, uh, America, especially North America, uh, Dublin, all over the place, saying, are there any services like this, uh, near where I live? So we've got a big problem at the moment that, uh, silence really is the issue. The, the condition does live in a void, uh, and there's really two major reasons for that. One is, as we've already discussed earlier, that people are totally understandably reluctant to disclose their experiences because they're worried of the consequences. Am I going to be put in institutional care? Am I going to be put on very strong psychiatric drugs uh, that can be very powerful? Uh, Am I going to totally lose my independence? Am I going to be given... uh, uh, Incorrect diagnosis, perhaps dementia. Uh, so that's one problem, but the second problem is actually the medical and healthcare field. So again, here's the, uh, yet another paradox that people will come forward and say, Well, who can give me a formal diagnosis of CBS if I think maybe I may be a candidate? And the answer is paradoxical because you would say, Well, uh, any doctor, whether uh, a general practitioner or any specialist, can give the formal diagnosis. And yet, uh, and yet, well, we don't know the figures. No one's actually uh, undertaken a survey. But there's certainly a significant proportion of general practitioners and specialists who have never heard of the condition. So... Uh, what this means is that it continues to reside in this, in, in this sort of area of silence. And uh, this nexus of people being uh, reluctant to speak and the medical fraternity not playing a proactive role means that it remains hidden it remains concealed, and it almost remains a taboo subject.
0: Yeah, and what uh, Ian has described is just the simple fact of someone saying, you're not going mad, that that this is a part of vision loss. That in itself has been a huge release to him, and so I would think... Would you say that it's a case of just simple education would make an enormous difference, even even putting the science and the treatment, the, the medical treatment aside, just simply raising awareness amongst people in the field would be a, a huge advance?
1: Indeed, uh, Rod. All that we've found that about for about two-thirds of people, all they want to hear is that you're not losing, you're not going... You're not losing your mind that this is uh, a quirky side effect of vision loss and the reassurance that this provides to know that there's, a, there's an actual medical label for this condition, that it's not a sign of memory decline, of uh, any type of mental illness, that in itself uh, can provide incredible can allay a lot of their fears and doubts, the anxiety can drop. And some of them I've actually experienced it where someone once they've heard this, you watch this incredible sigh.
0: Oh, oh I'm okay. And and yeah. they
1: feel a great relief that they're not carrying this burden of fear on their proverbial shoulders. Yeah. And uh so yes, we uh that will work for the majority of people, just the reassurance. Well,
0: Ed made, made an interesting comment during his uh, the interview just there, and he said his ophthalmologists asked him. He said, "You seeing visions, yeah? And do the visions speak to you? No, they don't." And then, so now that itself must be a, a an interesting characteristic. The fact that this is confined to the visual sense. There's no smell, touch, or any of the other senses involved with
1: this. Yeah. Well, this is where uh, Charles Bonnet syndrome can be really distinguished from a whole host of other medical conditions where people can experience, I'm using again that term, uh, visual hallucinations. They can occur in a whole variety of settings. Um, Schizophrenia is one, uh, dementia, Parkinson's disease, delirium. It can be... Are the results of medications, standard medications that are given by doctors, whether to treat hypertension, pain management, they might use certain drugs during a surgical procedure, say heart surgery, that can trigger visual hallucinations. So there's a whole raft of areas that can, that one can find the origin of these phantom visions. But in the case of Charles Bonnet syndrome, it is, uh, as Oliver Sacks, the late Oliver Sacks once described, as like watching a silent movie and that there is no other sense involved. And it, in a way that would make sense, given that the MRI is showing that the vis- specific parts of the visual part of the brain are the ones that are firing. So it's solely a visual experience. Yeah, no. uh, And That's- I guess... What The the counter side to that is that really if anyone out there who is listening um, knows of someone or themselves who is having maybe these types of experiences, it can be a red flag if there's other senses involved. So if you can smell or feel, touch uh, the phantom images, then that may be an indicator that it may be something other than Charles Bonnet syndrome.
0: Yes, and you mentioned uh, Oliver Sacks, the great Oliver Sacks, a moment ago, and uh, I think we would both highly recommend the TED talk that gives in which he describes the experience and and a case of Charles Bonnet that he investigated. And he, in fact, experienced a bit of Charles Bonnet himself, I believe, not particularly strongly, but uh, I think he said he was blind in one eye. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Now, the other thing that, that uh, Oliver Sacks talks about now, he has a fascinating book called Musicophilia, and you, you mentioned this earlier, Scott. The people here are sort of a tinnitus, which is very florid, not just the ringing and the buzzing that most of us get. It's actually a whole uh, refrains of music and so on. It's, it's amazing what the human brain can generate. Does everybody... Do all cases of Charles Bonnet relate to vision loss? Can you get it if you have normal vision? Uh,
1: Yes, Uh, yes, it can, and this is a a good point to bring up uh, that when we think of uh, vision loss, we typically think of uh, eye disease, so something that has happened to the eye itself or the optic nerve. uh, So the macular degeneration, diabetic, retinopathy, cataracts, uh, all those types of conditions. But in fact, Charles Bonnet syndrome can occur if there is any type of damage to anywhere along the visual system. And so you get instances where it's uh, not common, but there are instances where maybe someone has damage, say, actually in the visual part of the brain, uh, it could be as a result of a stroke. It could be the result of a tumour. Uh, and those uh, people may have no actual uh, vision loss as such. Uh, and also there's been a tendency to to view it as uh, uh, that you have to have uh, poor visual acuity. You know, like when you go to an optometrist and you read the chart with the letters that are Progressively getting smaller each line down the chart. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a misconception that you need to perform badly on that test to be uh, at risk of Charles Bonnet syndrome. However, people with glaucoma, for example, uh, they t- they've got the opposite problem to macular degeneration in that their central vision is fine, it's their peripheral vision and so they can read the chart fine but they also are susceptible to CBS
0: Yeah and I think uh, all of us I believe have a sort of a Oh, you could describe Charles Bonnet syndrome perhaps as a sort of a gap filling. So some of the references I've seen refer to the blind spot that we all have, but none of us notice it, and mm. the brain just fills, fills in that gap. Now, I believe that the brain dedicates something like or nearly half of its capacity to the visual system. And, I, you know, typically you would say oh, that the eye is just a straight camera and there's sort of like somebody inside your head watching it. But I think, if you tell me if you would agree that this kind of points to the fact that there's a huge amount going on inside the head, that the visual system is a lot more than just a, a couple of cameras attached to the front of your head.
1: Well, yes, and uh, I mean, I think some of the cutting... Um Work that's being done in neuroscience at the moment, or, or in uh, visual perception, suggests that we can't just look at the visual part of the brain in isolation. That uh, that they're finding that the networks are so elaborate in the brain that uh, that what's going on in other parts of the other lobes of the brain can have a, a ripple effect. Uh, on uh, perception itself, so uh, yes. yeah, this this tendency to localise uh, just in sp- specific regions, it's, it perhaps is discounting the role of uh, what seems more peripheral parts of the brain are, are playing in the whole overall process.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's mind-boggling, as I think we were saying earlier. Now, if somebody wants some help, I, I would guess from what you said before that if you, a listener, know somebody or yourself are starting to experience uh, vision loss, then you might gently ask them about or, or just refer them to Charles Bonnet Syndrome and to your website, the Charles Bonnet Syndrome Foundation. Uh, also, there is the Vision Australia, and Ian made particular mention of Vision Australia, how they had helped him. Uh, what else would you recommend, uh, Scott?
1: Uh, well, I don't know how much time I've got, but uh, I could, again, I could say a lot on this. Uh, 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 just,
0: just, just to interrupt, though, is there uh, a medical treatment? Uh, now, my impression from what I've been learnt so far is that there is no actual cure, inverted commas, is it's just something you have to adapt with, like tinnitus for those of us with hearing loss?
1: Uh, well, there's, there's a lot of misconceptions about CBS. One, that uh, if you do, if you do uh, a Google search uh, and you look under CBS, most uh, places will talk about the fact that Oh, if you've got the condition, don't worry, because within 12 to 18 months it will resolve of its own accord. And uh, we, even though it's true that there are instances where it, it just does disappear over time spontaneously, just like spontaneously it starts to appear, so too down the track, we don't know how far, it can also resolve. Now, whether that's because the brain has adapted to the fact that there is a significant vision loss it's not going to get the visual information it once did and then maybe it sort of just uh resolves itself to that we're not sure yet but uh the recent studies have shown that uh 70 about 75 percent of people say that their cbs lasts for at least five years so it, it uh i think it's um uh misleading to say that don't worry, you'll be gone in 12 to 18 months. Uh, in terms of a cure, uh, if you use standard medical treatments as they exist at the moment, the strike rate is about 33%. So we're saying that if people use... Uh, though, uh, medical treatments prescribed by an ophthalmologist, a neurologist, psychiatrist and the like, then in about a third of cases it will work incredibly well and the images will uh, resolve within just a few days sometimes and they won't recur. Uh, The problem is though that uh, is for the other two-thirds so that uh, another third who will take these uh, treatments, uh, they will have no effect on the phantom images.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to interrupt you, Scott, because we've run out of time, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry to have to cut this bit short, because uh, those people who live with Charles Bonnet syndrome really should... Uh, well, there are things that can be done, and for a first point of call, the... Chuck. Char- Charles Bonnet Syndrome Foundation website. We have a column in the Ask Fuzzy Fairfax media, which uh, went online last week. And so we'll provide a reference to that through our Twitter and through our Facebook handles. And thank you very much for your time today, Scott. It's been a pleasure and a fascinating and important
1: topic. Thank you, Rod, for the opportunity.
0: And take care. Plenty more coming up on Fuzzy Logic. Catch you later.